Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my girlfriend, Carol. How you doing, Carol? Hey, what's up? Much has been a good week here. It is January 26th, 1996. Look at you all confident knowing the date. I know. It's awesome. Well, we've got some stuff to talk about today, Carol. We do. Yeah. Slap bracelets. No, those aren't really, <laughs> aren't really in fashion anymore. No. Nah. Dunkaroos are, though. Uh, so Dunkaroos are fucking delicious. Yes, they are, aren't they? There's never enough frosting, though. Yeah. Not quite enough. There's never enough frosting in the whole world. That's true. You know, I have a recipe to make my own frosting. Ooh. I'm just saying. I want to try it. I think you've already tried it. <gasps> oh my god, what is wrong with you? What's funny is I wasn't even going there when I said it, because I genuinely do have a recipe for frosting, but then, I don't know, it just felt like it got set up for that. Wow. Your, your face. So, uh, something else that seems like a setup. <laughs> The grand jury is calling the first lady, Hillary Rodham Clinton, and five others to testify about white water. Whoa. Which also kind of ties in, I guess, if you think about it. Now, white water is... Some kind of land development deal in Arkansas or something like that, and they think that Hillary Clinton and maybe Bill Clinton cheated some people or something like that or used inside knowledge or something and then one of the people involved in it died and they're like oh maybe they killed him oh wow yeah it's all this told really thing. they think that the president and the first lady killed somebody like well, aren't they he, busy was, enough back when he was governor not when he was, i mean he was he was governor of arkansas that can't be that busy of a job. <laughs> It's not a real state like being governor of California or something like that. I've never been to Arkansas, and I've never heard anything about it. Is that one uh, diamond, uh, like, whatever the fuck it's called? I can't remember what it's called. There's a national park there that's, I think it's like Diamonds National Park or something like that. But it's it's like the biggest diamond mine or reserve or whatever in the United States. Okay. Like one of the only major ones. And I think you, there's a part of it where if you walk through, if you find diamonds on the ground, you can keep them. But they're always like super tiny and they're not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like it's, no one finds anything really worth anything there. But That sounds kind of cool. I've got to imagine that's the only thing that's they're even thinking about in Arkansas. I am, um, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say it, but I'm going to say it. Say it. I didn't know we had diamonds in the United States. I no. thought. They only had them in Africa. Well, I mean, that's not, there's no embarrassment in saying that. Usually I would give you a thorough rinsing for, for <laughs> not, for not knowing something. But I think that's because, because I believe this place in Arkansas, mm-hmm. it might be the only place. If it's not, it's, it's the only one of substance okay. as far as diamonds go. So you're not far wrong. Cool. It's mostly Africa. I do believe. You know what? Honestly, I don't know either. I mean, like, I can't act superior or anything like that because I know they have them in, in Africa and I know they have them in this one place in Arkansas. But do they mine diamonds in any other country in the world? I don't know. 
I guess maybe if they did, it'd be Asia would be my guess. But I have no, I have no clue. I have no idea. Hmm. I know there are a few countries in Africa where there it's very famous. The South Africa and some of those countries. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, excuse me. It's the winter season. It is. God bless you. I don't say Thank bless you. you. I say God bless you because I can't do that. <laughs> okay. I am not the Lord. Well, I appreciate blessings from God. I hope a comedian never steals that line because that's a funny line. Uh, we're in 96, remember? So, um, <laughs> politically incorrect is moving to ABC. I don't know how I feel about this. Are you familiar with Politically Incorrect? No. I, I don't watch it with you, so Mm-mm. I assume that you don't watch it. Never heard of it. It's the Comedy Central political show hosted by Bill Maher. Well, there you go with the with the fucking cable again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You need to leap into the 80s and get cable. <laughs> Talk to my mom. Well, you can watch cable. See, the thing is, it's a late night show, and, and you're rarely over... A house late at night. Well, if I am, we're not watching TV. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but yeah, that's true. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, politically incorrect. I think it's on at like 1030 or 11 o'clock at night or something like that on Comedy Central. And now they are moving to the American Broadcasting Company because the show's getting pretty big. So be interesting. I, 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 I'm happy for Bill Maher okay. and the politically incorrect crew. But I don't know. Something tells me that it will be more sanitized on ABC than it is on Comedy Central. I, I think it would have to be, wouldn't it? I mean, that, it, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's like the whole difference between cable and public television. And I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I know they'll reach a wider audience, like me. On a, what? <laughs> you'll reach a wider audience. No, be, like I'm part of the oh, wider oh, audience that they will reach. I was I was going to say, wait a second, what wider audience are you reaching? <laughs> well, you didn't know, but... You know, we, I, we, I know we have a lot of fans the of these shows. But <laughs> a lot of fans of our show, but... So, I, I'm, I don't know. Like I said, I'm up in the air about it because I think being on Comedy Central, one, it being cable, and two, it being smaller, I think that gives them a certain amount of freedom. Yeah, I can see that. I'm going to supercut you yawning. I'm just going to, whenever I'm editing the show, I'm going to take out every time you yawn when we're doing the show, and I'm going to cut it into just, it'll be, it'll be, be so embarrassing. it'll be five hours long of just you yawning. I don't think anybody would have even noticed if you hadn't said anything. You only noticed because you're looking at me. Yeah, I like looking at you. Apparently, you don't like looking at me yawning. Well, I mean, we're doing a show trying to entertain people, and you're—I can't. You're help it. so bored. I'm not bored. I'm tired. Oh, is there a carbon monoxide leak in here? Is that what? Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> anyway, uh, Sally Field, like me right now, says she wants to be alone. What? The two-time Academy Award winner says she now realizes that people need their solitude and separateness. The 49-year-old star of the recently released Eye for an Eye reflects after two failed marriages, one to high school sweetheart Steve Gregg, sure, the other to producer Alan Griezmann, that couples should have separate bedrooms. 
There's something unnatural about sleeping in the same bed, dressing in the same closet, sharing everything, Fields says in the January 29th issue of People magazine. What the fuck? Fields says she has stopped feeling guilty about her lifelong pension for solitary activities such as needlepoint, reading and writing in her journal. Okay. Well, um, that's why you have two failed marriages, because you don't want to be with your husband. Yeah, don't. that's kind of weird, right? Yeah. I mean, there's something unnatural about sleeping next to. I disagree. I, I like writing in my journal and reading too, and I do like not plas- um not. I do plastic canvas, not needlepoint. Needle point, yeah, right? but that doesn't mean that I don't also What's like plastic canvas. Explain to the folks out there what plastic <laughs> canvas is. It's kind of like cross stitch, but it's plastic. What's cross stitch? It's making a picture. Okay. With plastic squares that mm-hmm. you put yarn through, mm-hmm. you know, colored yarn. Sure. And it's kind of like coloring. I believe it's called, I believe it's just called African-American yarn now. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's pretty politically incorrect. You are so well, colored yarn. gross, okay? Colored yarn only. How is that gross? Because it's just, you're a gross person. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Maybe you and Sally Field have more in common than you think. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> the fuck? A gross person. Why would what a you statement? Take, why would you take something beautiful like plastic and try to make it into a funny joke and, for and people make listening? It I don't know. Gross. I don't know why I would try to do that. <sighs> Anyways, mm-hmm. it like I was trying to say, it's like coloring with yarn. Okay. Okay. That's a good way to explain it. Coloring with yarn and plastic. Yeah. And needles. Yeah. That's right. Alright, cool. So you don't do that. But that's so. My point is with with Sally Field. I don't think that it's unnatural to sleep with somebody else. I think it's unnatural to sleep by yourself. Yeah. Think about evolution. Like when people slept in caves and stuff like that, didn't they always like cuddle up? Even I mean, the like families used to sleep together, right? Yeah. Like whole all families. in the same room. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's more unnatural to sleep totally alone. Yeah, I think she's just spoiled. Maybe. Maybe she was an only child. I don't know. Yeah. You never hear about any brothers or sisters that she has. Maybe she's just not a nice person. You know, Linda Hamilton has a twin sister. Okay. Why do we care about Linda Hamilton? I'm just saying, if Sally Field had siblings, I think we'd know. Okay. I know that Linda Hamilton has a twin sister. Who the fuck is Linda Hamilton? From Terminator. Oh, okay. From Terminator 2. They used her twin sister in a couple scenes, like when she had to look in the mirror and stuff like that. What? Yeah, there's. I think there's. I don't know exactly what. The, it's not like a horror movie thing where she looks in the mirror and then she looks away. But I think for some special effect, they needed her to be looking to, into a mirror, but it couldn't be a mirror. Maybe because of the camera and the lighting or something like that. I don't know. But they used her twin, and it just looked like huh. it was a reflection because they they were twins. Well, I do kind of remember a scene where she was staring in the mirror. Yeah. Maybe that was it. Yeah, it's her twin sister getting screen time. Weird. Getting paid scale. Well, good for her. Yeah. I wonder if her sister can act as well as she can. Obviously not, or she'd probably be <laughs> more things. Well, I mean, we don't know. Other than playing uh, second-rate Linda Hamilton <laughs> things. Maybe she just didn't want to be an actress. Maybe. Maybe, maybe she's, she's a doctor. Maybe she's a professional needlepointist. Maybe. Or plastic canvasser. Right. Yeah, that's that's a she, thing. She canvases the entire neighborhood with plastic <laughs> canvas. <laughs> Yep. So that's the news for this week. Cool. <laughs> Thanks for that. I'm challenging you. 
Why? To think of anything. <laughs> to think of something? Okay, sure. This week, we watched Star Trek Voyager. We did. It was terrible. It's the second season, 14th episode of the second season, called Alliances. It was the most boring thing I've ever seen. Like, I liked Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. My mom's a big Trekkie. Yeah. So I'm used to Star Trek. Sure. Nothing happened in this episode until it did, and even when it did, I didn't care. Well, the thing is, it's like nothing of consequence happened. Right. Because they started in one place, and then stuff happened, and then they ended in the exact same situation, and it's like wheel spinning. Yeah. That's all. But I mean, it was like, it was political. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe what maybe we'd care more if we who, were into the show already, but... Who would be dumb enough to make a sci-fi or fantasy series or movie or whatever and say, let's put politics into it? Right, because that's going to, you know, rack up the ratings. Yeah, the, how would that be entertaining? There's no way that's going to be entertaining at all. So dumb. There's enough politics on Earth. And like... Hillary so- Clinton's getting deposed for white right. water. <laughs> but anyway, so to to explain a little bit, I don't I've only seen a couple episodes of this show. And I think this is the first episode you've seen yeah. at all. So for for those of you that are not tuning into UPN and watching the show, it's mm-hmm. basically Voyager, which is weird. I, I guess it's in it's coincidental that the, their ship's named Voyager. And they're going on a Voyager. Wait, wait a minute. Is yeah. Voyager different than Star Trek Voyager? No, that's, yeah, yes. Star Trek Voyager, that's what we watched. But you said... The name of their ship is, oh. in the show is the Voyager. Okay. That's where they get the... It's, it's not the Enterprise, gotcha. it's Voyager. Right, right, right. Okay. So, in the pilot episode, they're investigating this anomaly or something like that, and they get attacked by... The Maquis, which are a alien race that was at war with the Cardassians, and there was there was some stuff in the late seasons of TNG with Cardassians and the Maquis and stuff like that, and the Bajorans and like how they had this uneasy alliance or whatever. Okay, so the Maquis are like they hate. Well, they don't hate the Federation. I mean, they kind of hate the Federation. They want they want to destroy their enemies and stuff. So they attack, or they they attack the Voyager, or they had secret, like, agents on the Voyager or something like that. Anyway, they end up through weird stuff. They get beamed or sent to the Delta Quadrant. I guess the Milky Way galaxy Mm -hmm. is divided into four different quadrants. The Alpha Quadrant, the Beta Quadrant, the... I don't know. What was the <laughs> the uh, Alpha, Beta, Gamma. The Gamma qu- qu- Quadrant and then the Delta Quadrant. And they're in the Delta Quadrant, which I guess is like 70,000 light years away from Earth or something like that. Okay. So it's going to take them a hundred and some years to get back. So they're not getting back in their lifetime. I, I bet you they do when the show ends. <laughs> but yes, it uh, with current means, it would be impossible for them to get back while they're still alive. Okay. I think, or maybe it's, it, maybe it's like 50 years. I don't know. It t- it's going to take them a long time to get back. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you look at the rest of Star Trek, because in Star Trek V, they they travel to the center of the 
the galaxy or something like that to meet that dude that was God but wasn't God. You know, the one that Kirk was like, what would God need with a starship? Yeah. That that guy, that was the center of the galaxy, and it took them, like, a day right. to get there. So I don't know exactly how all this works. But anyway, <laughs> they're far away from home, and it's going to take them forever. And they're, they're meeting new kinds of aliens, mm-hmm. new kinds of threats, because they're in this new place that they've never been to before, which could have been interesting. But the show doesn't do anything with it. Okay. It's like, I, I like getting away from Romulans and Klingons and even the Borg and stuff like that because we've seen it all a lot. And having new threats, new, like actually really exploring new areas would be cool. But they don't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like they really do that. And when they do, it's not interesting. They don't. Mm-hmm. And they've got this dude, Neelix, that I think is just, like, Uh, the cook. And he's so... First of all, he's the most annoying fucking character in the world. He is. He's weird. He's annoying. And he looks like, I don't know, like, some kind of pet. Yeah, he does. I don't understand how he can look like a person and a pet at the same time, but he does. And he... He is, like, their cook. And he's just allowed to be in officer-level briefings. I I don't get that. Makes no sense. But he always has a some kind of some kind of idea, though. Oh, hey, we need to make an alliance with this group. I I know somebody that's part of this group. Yeah. Let me go try and and, and the guy tells him to fuck off immediately. <laughs> it doesn't work at all, right? So I guess they're being attacked by this group of people. I don't know. I mean, what what do you want to say about this this show? Okay, here I can summarize it really quick. Okay, yeah, please do. They're being attacked. An officer gets killed. Everybody's sad. They have a funeral. They're like, well, what are we going to do? And the cook says, let's make an alliance. So mm. they try to make an alliance. <laughs> it fails. They try with a different sect. It works. They call a meeting. Everybody comes together. And somebody tries to kill them all because they're all in the same place at the same time. Yeah. And so then it all falls to hell again. And they're back to being in danger. Yeah, the the group that they end up making alliance with apparently, and I thought this right away. The guys talking about how like, oh yeah, we kept. The, the, there's a bunch of different factions of a, of one species that are all attacking Voyager. I can't remember what they're called, but they were the slaves essentially to this other guy. And he's like, yeah, you know, we no one that's no one that's alive right now controlled the slavery and our kids are certainly innocent but they're still mad about about their race being slaves to us for like a thousand years <laughs> i don't get it it's like when people today are like well nobody that was alive today owned slaves so black people shouldn't be pissed off about owning slaves or you know that that they were slaves because we didn't own slaves and, and they weren't slaves and it's like i wonder if there's anything about slavery or the subsequent segregation and oppression of black people that could possibly have an effect on their ability to be successful today. Right. I wonder if that is possible. And it's it's the stupidest argument in the world, but people make it all the time. Yeah. It's like when maybe when we're a thousand years away from slavery. And 
we've reached some sort of equality where black people get an equal shot to white people, then you could make that argument. Well, maybe like someday if we have like a black president, then, you know, then we'll know that we made it, right? Right, exactly. Racism will probably officially be dead at that point. Of course. We won't even have to worry about it anymore. But it's, I mean, it's not that long ago when you think about it. No. The 1960s, that's the civil rights movement. Yeah. It's 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, there are plenty of people alive today who were like middle age yeah. <laughs> during the civil rights movement. But I mean, you, you were talking about slavery. I mean, that that was longer ago. Yeah, slavery was slavery was about a hundred and thirty years ago or so. Yeah. So I mean, longer. But, Couple generations. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, that guy that guy betrays them and tries to kill all of them. Yeah. He's like, hey, I was doing it for you, too, because when they're all dead, you'll be happier. And the captain's like, yeah, fuck yourself. So she starts out saying, we have to be rigidly adherent to Starfleet regulations. We must do everything exactly by the book, even if it's endangering us, even if it's getting us killed. We must do things by the book because those are our principles and we're going to stand by them. No matter what. Even though they're way off, far away from Correct. everything and everyone they know. And then her first officer makes a valid argument that perhaps we could creatively interpret some of these rules in order to make it better for ourselves. And they're the Vulcan, the, the token Vulcan that's on every single Star Trek right. show now. Every Spock, yeah. Because Leonard Nimoy was such a good actor. They now they have to have a Vulcan on every show. He makes a great point about Spock and, and Star Trek Six and says, Hey, remember the undiscovered country and when Praxis blew up and and they we, we made a peace with the Klingons and even though Kirk was like let them die and, and stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, let them die. So he makes a really good point and she's like, Oh, maybe maybe I am being too rigid. And at the end she's just proven correct. Yeah. And she just goes back to the, see, this is why I was right all along. That's not, that's not growth. Can I, can I just say something though? I, I hate her. Oh, I really, I really hate her. She's Captain the most Janeway. annoying person. Oh. Like the way she moves her head, even mm-hmm. it's, it's weird. It's like, it's like she's got it attached all floppy yeah. and it's always at an angle and she's always looking around like she mm-hmm. just doesn't know where to look or what to do or she's in pain. And she talks like a snake. Yes. <laughs> Everything she says is like this. We can't do this, Neelix. <sighs> I just, I want to hit her in the face. She sounds like Ka. Yes, exactly. Trust in me. <laughs> Seriously, I don't like her. And I like, what's her name? Kate Mulgrew. That's the actress that plays her. Uh I've seen her in some other stuff. I like her as an actress. I do not like this character, and I don't really love her performance of this character. No. I I, I think the character's written badly, but I also think she doesn't make it better. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how strict they are with her, but I think as an actress, she could elevate this material. But she doesn't do it (laughs) it's really bad it's really really bad if you haven't seen it watch it just to see how bad it is paramount decided hey let's make our own network and then put this on paramount's gonna fail as a company 
You Let's think? make our own network, and this new Star Trek show will be the flagship show of our network. Shit show? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it is. It's terrible. Yeah, it's no good. It's no bueno. No, not at all. What was bueno <laughs> was the movie we watched this week. Yes. Mr. Holland's Opus. Very bueno. I at the At the end of this movie, I had this thought. And I wonder if you agree or not. But I said, or I thought to myself, this movie feels both epic in scale and very personal at the same time. Hmm. Like, I think the the movie, it, it feels like a saga, like a family saga. And I think the part of the reason is, is all the, and I, I think it's interesting and amazing how they kind of they ride the line between those two different types of stories. And I think it's because the world is on the edges of this story. So we see Vietnam, we see some newsreel footages of Vietnam, we see newsreel footage of Watergate and and, and all these the moon landing, all these things, those these momentous things that are happening from 1965 to 1995. And we see the the ramifications in their own lives of some of it, whether it's the the, the kid dying in, in the Vietnam War or whether it's John Lennon's death in 1980. And we see the way it affects this family. But the core of the movie is about this guy and this guy's life and the tapestry of this guy's life what he made from mm-hmm. from from it and and how he affected the world around him. Yeah. So I and the the scene at the end, obviously if you haven't seen the movie, go and see it. But the scene at the end where everyone's in the auditorium, I think that perfectly encapsulates what I'm talking about. It's one guy and one guy's life, but this is the ripple effect of everything. Right. So it feels large in scope but the story is very personal at the same time it's very limited to to his point of view and i think it's really interesting how everyone's life is like that every everyone sees life from their own point of view and to to everybody everybody's life is personal because this is all you get to see but the totality of it is larger and and bigger than than any of us can even realize a lot of times. Definitely. That's really cool. So I think the the movie balances those two things and really kind of blends them together beautifully. It kind of reminded me of Forrest Gump. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I guess mainly, you know, because it's a story showing somebody, you know, going through mm-hmm. their life and growing, but also, like, because you get to see the backdrop of the United States yeah. changing. And I, I, I think that... It's a less a less fantastical, less comedic. Yeah, Forrest Gump for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. Like Forrest Gump is out there a little bit, and this one's definitely more, mm-hmm. you know, believable. It's more grounded in reality. Yeah. It's very difficult. It's, it stretches the imagination a lot to think that this one person did all this yeah. amazing stuff and met the like was there when colleges were desegregated was was there to meet elvis was there to inspire 
people to come up with all these ideas. It it gets. I like Forrest Gump a lot. It's a fun movie, but it gets fairly farcical at times. Oh. This one's much more grounded in reality and much more believable. And the um, redhead from Sybil, the daughter. Oh, is she in Sybil? Yeah. Okay. She play. Yeah, she plays Sybil's daughter. Okay. And um, she's in this movie. Mm-hmm. She's like the first student that he really cares about. So yeah. it's kind of cool to see her in a different role. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you don't remember her. I don't watch Sybil a lot. Yeah. You watch Sybil a lot more than I do. I know we covered it on the show, but I don't watch it a ton. But basically, it's about a music teacher who got into it as a backup gig because he wanted to make some money. He was going to only do it for four years so that he could go back to composing music Mm -hmm. and performing. And um, it, of course, ends up being a lifetime gig. 30 years, yeah. Yeah. He, um, because his wife gets pregnant... So that kind of traps him in there needing to be able to provide for a family. It's funny, too. It's, you know, the story of his life. So he doesn't change as much as America changes. Yeah. They don't. And and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's an opportunity wasted. I don't know. But he's because in, in the 60s, he's teaching rock and roll. Mm-hmm. He's clearly more on the cutting edge. But, I mean, that makes sense for his character, right. a traveling musician and everything. He's definitely more on the cutting edge than most people. But it is funny to see. We see 1995. We see him coming into school and everything. And we see two guys holding hands and kissing and stuff like that. And all the people with the fashion of today, you know, baggier shorts and, and the the wrist um, spikes you know, mm-hmm. and, and everything that people wear, the leather leather uh, bands with the spikes on them and stuff like that, and the mohawks, and just all the different kind of fashion that, that we see today. And we start in 1965 with everyone wearing skirts and ties, mm-hmm. and, and to see in 30 years, because we're in one place, we're just right. in, this, in this high school, to see through 30 years how things change so much it really it really opens your eyes to how how much we have changed as a country whether it's through fashion or pop culture things like that that we've changed yeah but he doesn't change all that much he changes in one well he changes in a couple pretty fundamental ways on a personal level but it doesn't really reflect the changes in in America right yeah, I mean, it's definitely different things going on. That mm-hmm. he, He's not changing in correlation with society. He's changing in yeah. relation to his life. And that's what I mean. Like, if we, if we dovetailed those two things, where mm-hmm. he changes as society changes, would that be better? Would it not be better? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't see. I don't know if that would come off as too formulaic or too cliche, or I don't know if it's an opportunity wasted or, or not. Because his life, his life isn't. It's also not lived in contrast to the times. Mm-hmm. He definitely, his fashion certainly changes at least a little bit. A little bit, yeah. You know, like he. But, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether that's good or bad. I'm not sure. Yeah. 
I'm undecided on it. I guess I'd have to see a totally other cut of the movie with them doing that to see what I think. But like you said, it's it's 30 years in one place so you can really see. And, and the contrast mm-hmm. is kind of startling going from oh, sure. 60s to, to 95. But, you know, imagine if we started out in 25 or 35 going to 65. Right. It wouldn't be as different. I mean, there's been a That's lot true. more change from 65 to 95 than there has in any time I can think of. That's yeah, that's true. Yeah, 35 so 35 to 65 we'd have bikinis. Yeah. Bikinis didn't exist in 35. I guess people would be dressing a little more risqué than they did in 35, but yeah, things wouldn't have changed that much. I think so I think television, movies, music, I think music big time yeah. changed society through the 60s because if you think about the Beatles, the Rolling Stones and then going into the punk era of the mid 70s to the mm-hmm. late, to the to the early 80s and and all that stuff, I think popular music really and that's, you know, one of the, the big themes of this of this movie i think popular music really drove a lot of change yeah during that time it was a big engine of change and and you know popular music from the 30s to to right before the right before rock and roll it wasn't that big of a change Mm -hmm. so yeah i i agree i think that i think that this is much more drastic of a change and then just basic human rights there's a lot of basic human right changes for sure the civil civil rights movement, the '60s was a hugely transformative time, both in music and, and with the civil rights movement and the war and everything. So, what's your favorite scene in this movie? Wow, that's a tough question. My favorite scene in this movie, um, maybe when he's singing to his son. Yeah, that might be my favorite scene. That's one of my favorites for sure. It's really really moving. Because this musician, and for anybody who doesn't know the story, um, who, like, music is his life. Mm-hmm. He plays music to his wife's stomach. He names um, his son Coltrane. S- Sebastian, I think. Coltrane Sebastian. No, it's something know. else. Wolfgang? I don't know. But Maybe, some other, yeah. com- some uh, other composer. composer yeah. um, but Coltrane was his, you know, favorite. That's, like, mm-hmm. who made him fall in love with music. Right. So, yeah, and then the kid ends up being deaf profoundly deaf yeah basically can't hear anything 90 percent deaf Mm -hmm. so you know they're struggling with this because it it is the 60s and they don't know what to do and their doctor says oh don't let him talk with his hands i see he's trying to communicate with his hands shut that shit down right right now (laughs) because if he talks with his hands he'll never learn to talk with his voice and then everyone will call him a freak like i think he is it was it was yeah um really bad one of the ways things have changed (laughs) right so yeah i mean there's a lot of struggle to figure out how to deal with you know cole and how to get him help and Mm -hmm. and dad kind of pieces out on it he absolutely he abandons his family without abandoning his family yeah he he's he's not there like the wife is dealing all the time with trying to communicate with her son and he's just gone. Like, he never learned sign language mm-hmm. till he was a teenager. Pretty much, yeah. Till after he calls him an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is funny. So the, he, the son has this big argument with him. John Lennon dies. And he's like, oh, you wouldn't understand, the, the dad says. 
and he's got he gets this big argument with him, and he's like, and the wife's the wife is is interpreting because mm-hmm. he's signing, and he's like, oh, you didn't think I'd know who John Lennon is? What do you think? I'm a fucking idiot. Right. You don't think I know what popular music is? You don't think I know about the stuff that you love just because I can't hear it? You fucking dick. And I'm paraphrasing, but, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but she, uh, so she tells him all this stuff. He calls him an asshole, and then storms off. And instead of doing nothing about it, like most people would, or instead or getting of getting mad, instead of getting mad, or instead of making some half-hearted effort, it just changes his. Like he's like, yeah, okay, I'm being an asshole. Well, one of the things that he said that I think was, you know, what triggered him was, you could try to help me understand it, mm-hmm. but you don't. Yeah. You so, care more about your other students. Yeah. Than you care about your own son. It, there is like three or four different inflection points in this movie where someone yells at him or someone gets angry at him and that changes his life. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Olympia Dukakis uh, at the beginning of the movie, the principal, she's like, hey, you're, uh, you know, you're pretty good at teaching them the basics, but the other thing you're supposed to do is kind of give them a direction, give them a compass, she says. Mm-hmm. She's like, you are shitty at that. <laughs> yeah. Because you run for the door every day faster than any of the students, so why don't you be better? And then she just, I, I mean, she's not mean about it like I just was, but she, you know, she says the compass stuff. And he takes it to heart and starts working with mm-hmm. students more and falls more in love with the job. And then there's, I'm trying to think, there's a couple other points where somebody talks to him roughly and he changes his mind. Yeah, he's very open to criticism. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I think that might be a point where it's not a real story, where, where you can see that it's not a real story. Because I don't think, I don't think most people are that willing to change and that open to criticism. I mean... I think maybe he just is one of those kinds of people, though. Yeah, I guess. I've it, never met one of those people. Well, he's he's an artist, so he's, you know, more empathetic, creative thinking and things like that, but he's also a good teacher, so he has a good mind. And as you can see in class, he has a good a good grasp of academics. He's smart enough to kind of logically think things out. So maybe when someone confronts him with something that he can't dispute he thinks about it and realizes the error of his ways and you know changes but i i agree i don't think there's a lot of people out there like that but maybe he is one of those few people yeah i can believe it but um yeah and like the very end of the thing Mm -hmm. 1995 him and his son have a great relationship now Mm -hmm. his son's a teacher yep and um they're shutting down the entire music program. A, a thing that they do more and more nowadays. I know. It's terrible. They were actually talking about that at uh, the school I went to my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, not not where I'm at now, but yeah, it was it was touch and go. Mm-hmm. And are, are you in are you in high school right now? No. <laughs> or are we not? I don't I know. I don't know. <laughs> you decide. Right. Just choose your own adventure. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I think that's terrible. Like, like he said when he was arguing with them, um, you know, you can teach them to read and write, but eventually they're not going to have anything to read and write about. Yep. Exactly. And he's right. That's, we need artistic expression. Life is meaningless without it. Yes. I, I understand that, that physics and chemistry and mathematics 
and history. I'm a huge fan of history. I, I understand that all those things, engineering and, and stuff like that, I, I understand that all those things are vitally important for society, but just as important is music and art and books mm-hmm. and television and movies because those are the things that make life worth living. And, you know, that on the larger scale is, you know, the point of this, but on his own personal level, he's 60 years old. Mm -hmm. That's not quite retirement age. Right. And he's being kicked out of his job. Yeah. Like, is he even going to get a pension? Because I don't think it counts as retirement. Like... He's been there 30 years. I I hope they take care of him. Yeah, I would assume they would. (sighs) So it's really bad, and he feels like... He doesn't matter. He's expendable. Like, well, one of his own former students is on the school board. Yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, fuck you, Mister Holland." Basically. So yeah, he gets really down, and then they set up this amazing thing mm-hmm. where they have everybody, like the whole auditorium, is just filled with people who want to, you know, say goodbye to him and let him know that they appreciate him. Yep. And even like that first student, the redheaded student. She's the governor now. <laughs> I, I think that's so cute. Which I don't understand why she can't do anything about this budget. But right, um, but yeah, that she, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But whatever. Like all the students that you know stuck uh, stuck out during the movie are there as adults and you know playing. Except for and, Terrence Howard, who died. Yeah, in Vietnam. That was sad. So they play his opus. They play his the, what he's been working on writing for his whole life. So he finally he gets to reach that goal that thing that he's always wanted is to have this performed so but really his opus is all those people in the auditorium right that's really his his accomplishment but now do you think they played the uh the passage uh that he wrote about the teenager he wanted to fuck (laughs) i think that was separate probably yeah because it was called rowena's theme Mm -hmm. so i think that was a separate piece of music yeah, the, the teenager from Uncle Buck is in this movie. And apparently she can sing. Who knew? I, I had no idea. I, <laughs> yes, assume she she, I assume she does Broadway or something like that. Because I haven't seen her in a whole lot of movies. So if you can sing and you're a good actress, and she's a pretty good actress, yeah. then you're probably doing Broadway. If you're, probably. If you're at this level anyway. That's what her character's going to end up doing probably. Yeah, probably. You're right. <laughs> but she she has a flirtation. And it's... It's a believable one, too. Yeah. Again, it's not over the top or anything. She appreciates him as some sort of father figure and mentor. And uh, don't say father figure. Well, don't you think? Uh, I mean, it's gross. Obviously, any, any young woman that lusts after somebody that much older than her is pro- probably has some issues with her dad. I'm right? sure she has issues with her dad, but I mean, like when you say he's a father figure and she wants to have sex with him, that's all edible and nasty. Yeah. Anyway, it's the opposite of edible. It's edible's the son and the mom. Oh, okay. It's fine. Uh, Electra. Yes. That's there you go. Hey, very good. <laughs> Check out the big brain on Carol. Oh, shush. Anyway. So she, you know, she, Wants him, and it's like a very subtle flirtation. Mm-hmm. And then she come basically comes out and says, "Hey, I'm leaving. Come with me. I want you to go with me." You and they've never w- done anything. I mean, that's pretty presumptuous to mm-hmm. think he's going to leave his whole life to go with you, and you've never even kissed. You can write your music and everything, but he decides not to. He decides not to fuck this teenager <laughs> and <laughs> and stay with his wife. Yeah, and his wife figures it out. Do you think they ever talked about it? Nope. You don't think she ever said, hey, nope. 
Remember that Rowena thing? Yeah, nope. I knew. She she was just glad that uh, it was over, whatever it was. Do you think that she suspected that he did something yeah. inappropriate with her? Yes. But he didn't. No. I mean, he had inappropriate thoughts. Yeah, and I mean, he was in. He he spent an inappropriate amount of time and energy on this one student. Mm-hmm. So I mean, either way, he was being a little inappropriate. But yeah, I mean, his wife might think they fucked. I don't know, but I don't think she ever confronted him. Mm-hmm. Different time. Yeah. If it happened now, it'd be a big fight. Well, I think about it. She's a housewife, mm-hmm. you know, and he's taking care yeah. of her and. That's true. What's she going to do? Right. He's gone all day, too, so he who knows what shenanigans he could be getting up to. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I thought they were going to have another kid, but they never had another kid. Just the one. Maybe they were afraid that they'd have another deaf kid. <laughs> <laughs> we keep getting deaf ones. <laughs> like it's a bad prize in a Cracker Jack box or something like that. It's the whistle again. Actually, though, I think that would be really hard to deal with, don't you? Like, having a deaf kid and then having a hearing child and, like, having, like, all the differences that would, you know, like, they'd probably be, like, a rivalry and, eh. A rivalry? (laughs) (laughs) It's the classic rivalry, hearing versus deaf. What kind of rivalry would they have? For their parents' affection. Because of the dad, because hey, remember the, of the dad way of, the dad is. Remember the sound of dad's voice? Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, goodness. Maybe the next one would be blind. And then the third one couldn't speak. It could be a united, uh, it could be like the, the Bene- United Scholars of Benetton, but it's uh, the United Disabilities of Mr. Hollis. Oh, my God. Want to be born with spina bifida? Like just her, her womb is just uh, a. <laughs> it's like a slot machine of disabilities. That's awful. What's it gonna go? What's it gonna come up? Why did you think they were gonna have another child? I thought I would assume that they want to have another kid. They didn't want to have that one because their first one was a dud. <laughs> You're an asshole. <laughs> Think about wow. they, they really think didn't. about all the, the think about all the all the names you've called me this episode. Have I? You called me an asshole. You said I was. What did you say that I was? I don't know. Gross or something. Oh, like did I say you? Oh yeah, I said you were a gross person. Yes. <laughs> you know I love you. <laughs> oh my gosh! You don't think they want kids at all? No, I, I mean, think he didn't want. I think. He, I think he didn't, he didn't want the kid. Yeah. For sure, because he reacted very badly. Yes. But I think it was just the timing. Like, he wanted to get finished with this, save enough money so he could write his fucking music. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe they did eventually plan on it. Who knows? I, I gotta say, either he didn't have that great of a work ethic, or honestly, his music writing wasn't that good then. Right. Because, it took him 30 years. Yeah, it took him 30 years to write one piece. And, I mean... It was, it ain't John Williams. That's what I'm going to say. I mean, if he, if he really, and he didn't want to be a studio musician. I don't want to be a studio musician. Because they're sellouts. Lots of studio musicians worked really well. Right. You know, there's studio musicians that were used by the Beatles, by the Rolling Stones. They're on fucking albums. Right. Playing, playing instruments and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Shit. 
Yeah, he was a little full of himself in the beginning, but he yeah, learned. He yeah, after 30 years, and he became an old man. <laughs> he and Jay Thomas with their lifelong friendship. Yeah, I liked that character, too. Well, that guy apparently stayed a bachelor forever. Yeah. We but, didn't get to see much about him. But he felt like, you know, the high school kids were his kids. And, you know, he devoted, they both devoted the same amount of time to the high school, which mm-hmm. was not good because, like you said, the one's a Once, bachelor, yeah. the other one has a family. Right. Yeah. The other one's trying to stave off crippling loneliness and depression. Yeah. By being at school all the time. Oh, maybe they both were, though. Hmm. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that's why he wanted to have sex with a teenager. Yeah. But he didn't, so. Gold He's star for Mr. Holland. Right. <laughs> well, that is our episode for the week, Carol. Uh, Mark. Do what you're supposed to do. Okay, fine. I will take us out. Uh, you can write us at latefee1994 at AOL.com. You can visit our website at retrolatefee.com. Mm-hmm. Tell your friends, um, you know, give us stars, put up boards saying, Lie to your friends. hey, this is a really great tape that you want to listen to. Lie to your friends and say whatever they're into, whatever whatever your, your friends are into the most. Like if your friends are for some reason really into, let's say, I don't know, Blues Traveler. Sure. Tell, tell them, hey, this show... All they talk about is Blues Traveler. <laughs> Play them the one episode we did with Blues yeah. Traveler. And say, and say that's all they talk about. So listen to all their shows. Right. It'll take them a while to figure it out. And go to uh, patreon.com slash retro late fee and join our, our little group there. Yeah. Get, get some uh, extra tapes. You'll get some extra tapes. You'll get some early tapes. Huh? Yeah. It's all the rage. All right. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a big party over there. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.